Welcome to the suburbs. I'm Kim. I'm Juice. And this, this is, is Suburban, Suburban Podcast. Podcast. We're just two bougie Negroes trying to figure out how to express our blackness in white spaces. Follow us on Twitter at Suburban Pod. All right. Have fun and enjoy. Let's get to it. you were about to say it. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Beetlejuice. If you say that name three times, Breathe. you'll just see an orange figure in the we're background. Like, I'm a huge fan of comedy. So, I've been seeing a lot of people talk about how uh, everything that's happening is so ridiculous that it's hard to actually make it funny. It touched on the anxiety of having a psycho as you know who. I don't think it's hard to make it funny. It's it's hard to make it funny without the obvious of like that terrible orange skin or the I hideous hair. The reason we make it funny though is because everything that we're laughing at is fucking true. Yeah, but I do feel like sometimes it can get a little run of the mill like, well, here's my Trump section. But in that one, oh, the way it. he did it was so... You said it. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right. God, yeah, I did say it. Mm. You got two more times to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, the Trump town. <laughs> all right. It's all right. Shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use first grade words, I guess. The comparison that he made with Donald Trump being a horse loose in a hospital is one of the funniest things I've sure, ever let's do that. heard. Especially mm-hmm. in this era. Like, you, it's that's a, that's a complex joke. It really is. And the way that he used it to where... But he made it where everybody can understand it. Right, and it's clear who he's talking about. But it doesn't seem like... Hey, well, you know what I mean? This guy over here is just like... The idea that we're not looking at the situation from how ridiculous it really is. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that the dude that that uh, hosted The Apprentice, what, three years ago is the president of the United States after somebody who was a Nobel Peace Prize winner and one of the greatest orators of his generation. And he still wasn't enough. Yeah. That. We we all know why. We don't have to touch on that. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep it light today. <laughs> because, yeah. We can go there, but, you know. We all know. But, 
it's it doesn't it it's it's like surprising and not you know what I'm saying it's like it's it's like when let's say when you're having unprotected sex and you just think you're invincible you think you're never gonna get pregnant and then you finally get pregnant it's like damn I'm surprised because I wasn't I didn't want to but at the same time I was doing everything to get here you know what I'm saying like (laughs) (laughs) or especially when it's like you out here just wilding and you take a couple trolls home that night and then you find out the troll has a a jewel in his stomach (laughs) and you're like Oh okay. my god. A real troll metaphor. That was dope, wasn't it? But yeah, and you find out that troll has a little jewel in his belly. And now you're like, how am I going to have to raise this troll? I don't have any time to play with my toys or anything. And now I have to be around this troll <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Donald Trump is that troll. God, yeah, I said it again. <laughs> Last time. No, 45 is the troll. He's kind of what we deserve, to be all the way honest. I mean, like we were very lax and very underappreciated. Well, I don't say we, meaning we, but we meaning America as a collective. Yes, like Obama was doing a good job and everything, but it was almost like the daily stress of just hearing people tear him down every day. That's why it's so funny when I hear these uh, Cheetoites talk about. <laughs> That he's the uh, he's getting a hard rap from the press. It's like, bro, do you not remember? They said this dude wasn't born here. They were much hard. They called him the Antichrist. Like, yeah. Are you kidding me? Meanwhile, this dude rides in on a white horse. <laughs> I see no Antichrist uh, claims for Donnie and the Wild Thornberries. Oh no, I did see that one. Like right after. Uh, he, after he won and people were like this is like the beginning of a left behind novel oh god I just I'm ready for it to be over I can't believe we made it this far in his term yes. and he's still but it's just crazy to see how far like we're just gonna talk about this privilege male privilege white privilege everything how far that can actually get rich you rich white male privilege is like, like pretty much having all the power in the world. The creme de la creme of privilege. Like, this dude literally just gets up and says whatever he wants. And people no, are like, you know what? He's right. No media training, which is funny because he's been in the media so much. He knows big words, Kim. I, I see you rolling your eyes, but he knows big words. Such as? He has the best words. They're always less than six letters, but he has the best of them. Such as fake news. (laughs) My favorite is two Corinthians. Not second Corinthians. (laughs) I forgot about that. Like, he's like, I read the Bible. Uh, Two Corinthians is easily my favorite passage. Like, two Corinthians? All these Christian conservatives. I was reading the book of Job the other day. Who says that he's a <laughs> Christian man, but he said two Corinthians. Get Bro, the fuck out of here. That's the funniest thing on Twitter when you see, I don't know if they're bots or not. I, I used to not think they were bots, but I'm pretty sure they're bots when they're like, I'm just glad we have a, a Christian in the White House. They're like, I mean, I don't think you have one now. But, the, but that goes to like, who's to say that number one 
a Christian is the best man for the job. Like Christians aren't perfect. Right. And even like using a Christian ideology, the idea is that we're that you're not perfect, but you're perfect through Christ. Right. But they're not they don't do that with everybody else. They for eight years they said Obama was a Muslim. In which even if he was, I don't see why that matters. I didn't it, Thank you. But that's I but somehow we never got that far in the conversation. It was so many conversations. That's why we didn't get far because we were fighting like so many different thousands of battles for Obama. Right. And and that's where it gets back to. I started getting tired. And it was like, yo, I mean, dude's already Jackie Robinson times <laughs> okay. a million. <laughs> this dude is going to be in every history book for, forever. Man, at some point you do get tired of fighting, though. I was just thinking about that the other day. Like, I used to be sister soldiering on Facebook. Yeah. And I had to calm down. It's because you get tired. It's stressful. Because it's, I feel like... Somebody even called me an activist once. I was like, <laughs> "Oh, I know who called you that." Though I was like, well, "These are I'm just sharing these posts right. and making my own comments." But but it was you get tired, yeah. Because number one, bullshit happens every day, especially in, in our community and to our community. So it's like, how much can we take? And I think we saw that right after the election when groups of people decided they were going to put safety pins on and march in the streets against the injustice that they were all acting like it was just fine. And then they were like, where are black people? We're like, man, we've been fighting this for eight years. Y'all ride this one out. Y'all got it. Fall out. And then they were like, I just don't understand why you don't feel offended. It's like, bro, are you for real? We're doing this every day. Exactly. We got to get ready for work on Monday. We, we ain't got time to be sitting up here. We crying. ain't new to this. We true to this. Right. This is our lives. And at the end of the day, we still going to make a story of our people. That's a great segue. All right. Recently, we've seen, uh, apparently, Negroes can't even barbecue in, <laughs> in uh, public anymore. And if that's not safe, man, what, what are we supposed to do? We can't sit in a Starbucks. We can't check out of an Airbnb. We can't um, have, have contracts as um, investors for homes. Yeah. Um, did you uh, see that one? No. So, oh my goodness, I reposted it. It was a black man in Memphis, actually. Mm. <sighs> right? <laughs> black man in Memphis. He was going into a house in a neighborhood that he had a contract on 
um, cause he, he's an investor. So he, of course, like fixes homes up, sells them. Right. So he was going in just to take some photos of the house. And apparently one of the neighbors to the house decided to call the cops on him. Mm. Um, the title of the article says white woman calls cops on black real estate investor inspecting house next door. They might as well get ready to copy that uh, first part. <laughs> Man. So basically she called the cops and the cops end up coming and they actually like defended him. They were like, he has a contract. He has every right to do what he needs to do. And she was just over on her side. Like, well, tell him to hurry up, hurry up, get it done and get out. And the cops were like, you're not going to rush him. He can be here all day. He can be here all night. It ain't nothing you're going to do to get to to get him out of here in any kind of fashion. And if you do, I'm taking you to jail. And I was like, where is this? Where have you been? <laughs> but, but just the simple fact that you can't just, you can't do your you job. You can't exist. You cannot do your job. It's just so many, like, contradictions and hypocritical statements like pull yourself up by the bootstraps but here here is a black man trying to do his job and you're hindering me like you like, can't fucking win man and I know y'all hear that all the time but literally like I can't just go in this house I, I told you I have a contract I shouldn't have to prove I shouldn't have to say anything to you at all and then also go with the pull yourself by your bootstraps thing you're working on a postgraduate degree at yeah. Yale you alright that senior year I'm gonna tell you from experience that struggle so real man like you ready to pull your hair out and and I can't imagine how it is at, at Yale, Yale in a postgrad or any Ivy League so falling asleep while you studying or I think she, was she writing a paper and took a break I don't know what happened specifically on that. I heard her. I thought it was like she was trying to get into her room or she was walking to her room or something. No, like she fell asleep in, uh, she was in her dorms and that, you know, the common area. She fell asleep there. So she was going back late. And no, she just fell asleep. I think she was either studying or something. And then the girl oh. turned the light on and was like, what are you doing here? You can't be here. Oh. And then she called the police on her. I thought it was like she was walking. Trying to get into her. No, that's what her friend, her friend friend experienced. All right. Her friend who's a guy, he had experienced it a couple weeks Um, ago. It may have been a couple months ago, but they were meeting up to study. And the same girl called the police on him because he didn't, he wasn't supposed to be there. And the idea that you have to show literally your papers to show that you belong somewhere is so traumatizing it's traumatizing and that's the our that's literally like tactics that have been used since we got here oh yeah where's your past trying to break down your psyche so that you don't have enough mental stability to stand up for yourself or or do as well as or better than your counterparts yeah and then when you start cracking under depression and having anxiety and everything, maybe he couldn't just handle it. Gaslighting. Yep. But you see, it's also kind of flattery that so much of that is is put into place to keep us down. Because apparently we're that much of a threat. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you think there's no other way for you to win other than to cheat. Right. That means, you know what I'm saying, we got something worth 
having or we are people worth being. I mean, that's the optimist way of thinking of it. And then you have the pessimistic way, which I, I usually rely on, where they really just think we're that deceitful and untrustworthy that we'll literally try to scam our way through anything. That's why I don't like, not to divert this from where we're going, but that's why I don't like the whole like uh, scammer culture. Like, the pride in like, scamming that tends to have become a trend in like hip-hop and music mm-hmm. and even art at this point. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's playing into a negative stereotype of us. But as I got this... <laughs> Barbecue Becky and Cookout Karen. <laughs> All right. This is the most important thing that we've had to talk about since this podcast started. <laughs> Barbecue Becky or Cookout, or cookout Karen? Karen? Which side you on? I don't know. It's so hard. Cookout Karen it just kind of... It, it does roll off the tongue. It, yeah, it's a little bit more crisp. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I like barbecue Becky because it just it just sounds right. It's like where you feel like you belong, like where you think you can regulate black people while cooking. Man. Like that's like How real shit. Can you feel? <laughs> real shit. I might be more offended about that. Then, like, like we know how to do this. You, you shouldn't know. be mad at nothing other than the fact that you wouldn't offer no food. Like, exactly. <laughs> Why? Like that. That is real hate. Now. All right, just to play devil's advocate. If you did find out, for some reason, she had asked for a plate, and they told her, mm. Karen, get your ass out of here. <laughs> would you, would you kind of understand? Nope, wouldn't feel no kind of way. Calling the police is too much. And then that's the, I mean, like, it's we're petty. Ju- it's the ultimate petty. And it's the ultimate sign of, I ain't got no time. So I don't respect your time, so I'm just gonna call the police because you're doing something I don't like. I don't got nothing else to do but to try to ruin these people's lives. Right. I'm and just then, trying to take away a good time. The the funniest thing about that whole situation is apparently the girl that started filming, I think she was white also. The one that confronted her. Oh yeah. And the way that she white woman uh cook out carry that shit was funny as fuck. Like she played the game, and then the old girl started doing that ugly ass fucking cry, looking like a beach well. <laughs> that the, meme is so funny. The internet is, and then every now and then, like undefeated. when we be memeing these racist ass or ignorant ass people, it's always that one Negro that's like, I don't think we should be joking about this. <laughs> like it's not funny. Like y'all think it's funny, y'all like those self righteous niggas that be thinking that we don't have time for all they the super times. woke. And I'm sure at times I've been that self righteous Negro. But like the dudes just like, no, y'all don't understand y'all. Like y'all don't understand what y'all are doing. Like, if you really understood like I do about what's really going on and y'all weren't being distracted. By all the delusions yeah, exactly. of the white man. That distracted shit really gets right. me. Right. It's like, like, bro, I know what's going on. 
I've been black my whole life. Okay. Right? Like, we, can, we can focus on more than one thing here. And, it, and it's like, dude, we, that's our, that's who we are. It's like we talk about in different conversations. We make light of things because if you just deal with it, the fact that people hate us, yeah, it's going to be hard to move through this world. Now we joke on people and clown them and make them look how stupid they look. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody might be like, eh, maybe I won't do that. And then plus, you're going to get these jokes. If you step out trying to call the police on somebody about some stupid shit, you're about to get all this roasted. <laughs> we about to barbecue you. Literally, <laughs> these days of, of, of nonchalant uh, adding people on Twitter and like, right. no one cares anymore. We will find you and we will haunt you. Yeah. <laughs> you go get this work. <laughs> also, another interesting thing from that whole thing is it brought up one of my favorite, uh, let's just call them tribes of African Americans, which are Bay niggas. <laughs> niggas from the Bay are so fucking real. Oh my god! And the way them niggas are out there dancing in Oakland, you got Frankie Beverly playing, and you got my favorite old school song, uh, "Cupcake No Feeling." When I was at Grand, when my homie from uh, the Bay, he put me on it, like. That song go hard. Oakland people just getting it. Okay. Like okay. we throw parties at our like movements. We gonna get this thing popping off. Hell yeah. Like you know somebody probably selling shirts with uh cookout <laughs> carrot on them. Oh my god, I want one. <laughs> that is the dopest part about going to a black event. Cookout Karen on a t-shirt. Hit me up. It's just something about. It. Them bootleg ass fucking shirts that they be selling. But we be all so love lit. Them. We all love them. I don't know why. Like, especially Cause like. Because they're funny. Yes, and the, the tackiness mixed with like the. Yo, this dude still trying to get money off this. Get your money, bro. Man, listen. That's the ultimate experience of being black. It's like, yo, we about to get this money. We finna make some money off of being shitted on. And that's very American also. It's like, yo, we go. It don't matter. That's why I was so hyped when Beyonce did found formation. And uh, the formation video. It basically was like, fuck the police. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. It, it, it was. I'm about to be rich off of this shit. And I'm going to go on tour. And the fact that she did that in the Super Bowl. Woo. And the way, like because she moves so silently, we never know what we're gonna get from her. Right. So for her to just spring it on everybody, like nobody can stop it. And then what you really gonna say? That's why like the people that are like, I just don't like Beyonce. <laughs> really? But you ain't gonna take her money away from her. Right. And you ain't gonna make it to where like if you don't show up to her shit, that's all right. We gonna show up. And we gonna be selling our bootleg shirts. Absolutely. And we gonna be selling all our bootleg gear. Absolutely. Wilding out, cause that's what we do. Let me tell you about it. Oh yeah. I wanna tell you about it. Let me tell you, I've been gone. We both graduated from the same high school. Went to school together. When did you start going? I went Riverton. All right, I I I went to Morris Elementary until I was in third grade, and then we went to Lynn Fanning. 
Okay, and then you came to Riverton. Went to Riverton, fifth grade through eighth grade, and of course Buckhorn, ninth through twelfth. What about you? Um, I pretty much went to Riverton Elementary School, middle school, then Buckhorn. How? Wait, y'all must not live where. Okay, because I was wondering because we had to go to Lampin, and then like. Chanson were down the road from us and they had they went to Land Fanning too. Yeah, we didn't move over close to y'all until ninth grade. Oh okay. But we were um we were down Winchester further down Winchester up until yeah, up until ninth grade. So I had a little bit of experience of going to school in the city, even though Morris back then was a little different because they still had some of the Arsenal kids going. Mm. So it was starting to go get a little bit blacker and browner, mm-hmm. but it was still like I had mostly white teachers, but the teachers that I had were very encouraging. Even in like the books we read, the uh, subject matters that we talked about, we talked about Dr. King stuff like that, and they were very encouraging. At least me, mm-hmm. and I. I I believe of all the other students that were around, they seemed like they legitimately cared. The teachers I had, at least. Um, when I went to Lynn Fanning, though, it was a little different. <laughs> and I struggled at first. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I was called a nigger. In elementary school? Third grade, yeah. By who? It was a kid. Another kid? Yeah. And then that's also the first time I started realizing, like, oh, this is different. Because we were about to get out for Dr. King Day. And Mm. so, like, I had already went through... That had never happened before. I had already went through three Dr. King Days. Right. In my school life. So, every time it was Dr. King Day or something, they talked about the greatness of Dr. King and some of the stuff he did. And he tried to bring people together. You know, to water it down, but still... Still being kind of multicultural. Mm-hmm. So they started talking. And then the teacher, I'm sure she wasn't thinking that this was going to happen, but she was like, So does anybody know anything about Dr. King? It's a girl. I'll never forget her face. I can't remember her name though. She shot her head up. She said, My daddy said that Dr. King did nothing but cause a whole bunch of trouble. And I was like, Wow. Were you the only black kid in class? I was one of two. That was also weird because I went from it was probably about half and half of black and white. Mm-hmm. Which you know sometimes when you think it's half or half, you're actually probably about thirty percent black. Right. But you just assume it's half and half. But at Lynn Fanning, I was one of a couple. So things like that happened. And, you know, it was a lot of you could tell this was a different world than it was. Well, see, (laughs) I didn't have a start at another school. So you just... So I jumped right into white people. And I know the reasoning for that, and my parents told me, or I I used to overhear my mama say it was they wanted to be in a zone of a county school because they felt like the curriculum was going to be better. Which is understandable because the funding for city schools is not the same. Mm-hmm. So, 
I didn't understand it at the time, but I started to understand it as I grew up and I was talking to, you know, kids who went to city schools about what they were doing in class and it was nothing compared to what we were doing. So I get it. But at the same time, I feel like I wish I had an opportunity to go to school at a younger age with black kids. I think if I hadn't experienced that, my life may have been different. Also, after third grade, I had a really good teacher. Like she, she actually believed that I was like pretty smart, and she was encouraging. And she she got back my like this is another thing. My third grade teacher, she got all my stuff from the other school, and she said, "Well, I'm gonna see how smart you are." She literally told my mom that in front of like told me that in front of my mom, and so I knew how to write cursive my third grade and she wouldn't let me write cursive because she didn't teach me how to write cursive wow and she wanted to see how smart I was it was the first time you know stuff like that and she had my awakening right and then she had my reading scores and she didn't believe them because they were city schools so I couldn't have been reading at that level so she discredited all of your intelligence yes and that's when I first started seeing I was like okay I understand I like it, I was pretty aware of things even then, but it started like it. It was still shocking. So the next teacher I had at Lamb Fanning, like this, the sweetest lady in the world, and she helped me a lot. Like fourth grade, I was reading the sixth grade level, so it was like you know it's decent. Mm-hmm. So she encouraged me to read harder books. Like, when we did reports and stuff, she encouraged me to do intense things. Like, she suggested that I look up Muhammad Ali for our Black History Report. Wow. And go in detail with it. Talking about Vietnam and everything. So, like, I had the duality of both of that. I think if she, if I hadn't had her, there's a lot of black, young black men that fall behind around fourth and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Because that's also when they start doing the prison pipeline mm-hmm. things. That's also like right as puberty is kind of starting. Right. And that's when they start um, put back then it's a little harder to put you in special ed now. But back then they would just, if you had discipline problems even if they just labeled you as a discipline problem, mm-hmm. they would put you in special ed. And special ed then was not a pathway to being, to getting a diploma. You couldn't get a diploma with that. So, I remember, like, I remember, I remember starting at Riverton, first grade, because I went to, um, I did kindergarten at Oakwood. Ooh, look at you! That was my only, <laughs> that was it. I did kindergarten at Oakwood, and I started first grade, and we, that was because we moved. We had got a house, because we were in an apartment over on Bonnell Drive, Humble Beginnings. We were in an apartment on uh, Judith Wayne. <laughs> we were in an apartment and then we moved, got a house, and then I started going to Riverton. And I remember first grade, it was so different. Um, not because the teacher wasn't helpful, but for one, I was in like a way bigger class. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like when I got there, I was behind because that's when first grade is when we started learning how 
to add and subtract. I had the worst time learning how to do that. And I don't feel like there was anybody there to help me. Like my parents had to help me so much after school because the teacher was pretty like in first grade, she was moving along if the majority of the class was understanding. Yeah. If you were behind, it was, I remember it was me and this other little black boy who were struggling. And so I didn't think anything of it then, of course, because I'm like six years old. But like, as I thought about my whole experience in school, um, in predominantly white schools, I definitely think about little stuff like that. Um, but I feel like, I feel like starting off so young, um, being in a predominantly white environment really not fucked my mind up but it definitely skewed um, my perception of myself as a black kid because it, it just used to be little things like oh you know I want to wear my hair down and straight like white girls or you know what I'm saying not really understanding why my hair wasn't like theirs and then it started turning into me wanting to be like them more and me wanting to be them eventually and I feel like that is really damaging mm-hmm. because you find yourself not I mean not being yourself obviously but you find yourself measuring yourself up to somebody else exactly and I feel like I feel like I did that probably all the way up until college really see I had such a weird experience because, like, I don't know if I, I'm sure I've told you in the past, but, like, my granddad was, like, a civil rights, like, deep into it, and he was, he always tell me stories about it, like, in Mississippi, of all places, also, like, he was the first uh, person to run for, um, he was the first black policeman in my, my family's hometown. Wow. That's yeah, scary. and then first black policeman and civil rights. Ooh, shit. Now he was very light skinned. Oh, okay, so he could kind of pass. And so they like at, at his funeral, um, one of his friends was saying they got Robert to be a uh, policeman because they thought that he would be able to control the black population because he's fair skinned, he's good looking, stuff like that. And my granddaddy, we found it out quit wow so that tells you like a little bit about who he was so like he always told me stories about that about him working with Charles Evers and that's Megar Evers uh, older brother mm-hmm. who took up the mantle after mm-hmm. he got di- like after he was assassinated mm-hmm. and just stuff like that so and then plus my family was always educated at HBCUs and I don't know if that helped my inner pride, I guess. So I I could only get torn down to a certain level. Mm -hmm. But also the fact of my black peers, by the time I went to like Riverton and Buckhorn, thought I was a sellout. Yeah. That. Damn, you too. <laughs> no, I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah, I can see that. I can, cause I mean, I feel like I've, I've experienced that too. But you um, know, I found out like later that that was actually a concerted effort. That wasn't just out. 
like when you're getting bullied and you're getting isolated and you don't realize like you realize what's going on but then like when you tell people and they're like you're just being delusional mm-hmm. when I got older I probably like, like people actually told me that it was actually it was happening yeah yeah and I was like yo cause I didn't deal with like real stuff because of that I could have been one of these kids that you know did something terrible really fucked up and can't come back from that yeah but I think I think as I dealt with all that I didn't like by the time I was about 8th grade after like it was queer and none of the black kids were gonna hang out with me I became like I just hung out with all the like the alternative white kids cause and, they accepted you right and then like I started listening to the same music and I got really deep into like the Strokes and uh, Jack White and White Stripes, the Hive, the Vines. Marginalized groups always find themselves right. And so I found comfort in that. And then also I was still able. They didn't try to strip away my blackness, which was also an important thing. They recognized I was black, mm-hmm. and they didn't. They didn't treat me. Like, it, I didn't catch that vibe that I caught from other people. Mm. So, like, I fell into that and I started listening to, you know, black rock artists and getting... Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. And, like, Bob Marley was the first because I, I listened to Bob Marley since I was, like, 11. Like, cause my uncle, Mia's dad... See, I didn't get into that until college. Mia's dad has a really... Like, I get part of, like, my love of music from him. Because yeah, I, so I would go to their house and I would just, like, his first person I knew with a CD burner, I just burn all his <laughs> CDs. Like, he had all reggae and all this, like, rock and blues and stuff. So, like, yeah. I think also having people in your family who do stuff that's not quote unquote black, mm-hmm. like, listen to rock music and. Helps. And my mom was really weird. She likes, like, musicals and, like, like, Classical shit. My, like she was watching My Fair Lady on Thanksgiving oh, Lord. singing all the songs I'm like I cannot stand a musical <laughs> that is one thing I cannot stand to watch is a musical really I hate musicals like I love like what I feel I, I think it reminds me of my childhood okay like watching The Wiz I can tolerate The Wiz um Singing in the Rain was another one. I, I can tolerate the ones where they don't literally like sing for ninety five percent of the, the movie. I got you, but I think I found a comfort in that. And then also by the time we got to high school, some of the people that I was around had started changing a little bit. You know, they started acting like some of the assholes because they wanted to be popular too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they hit it well, but at the end of the day, they all want to be popular. And so I started hanging out with more black people. They were, they were, I hate to say, <laughs> they were more black people like me and who understood me. <laughs> but I still wasn't accepted by a large group of my black friends, well, my black classmates. Mm. Mm. I feel like, I really feel like I had almost like a taste of, um, like mixed kid syndrome because yeah, I, I've, I've actually had that feeling too because you know what I'm saying we we have black families and we we go to black churches and we went to black church but 
we went to school with white people so I feel like I felt like I had dual personalities like at school I wanted straight hair and whatever else but whenever you know I went to my grandma's for the summer I'd be super excited to have my hair braided but I never wanted my hair braided at school you know what I'm saying like And having braids as a little girl before you get a relaxer, if you ever get a relaxer, that's like the number one thing that you mm-hmm. do. Like most little black girls are gonna have braids or afro puffs, and I wasn't able to fully embrace or fully enjoy my hair in its natural Afrocentric style because I was going to school Monday through Friday, so five days out of the week, I was trying to assimilate. <laughs> I. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at... You remember... All right. We we went... Not to give away our age, but we went to school <laughs> during the emo uh, scene kid phase. Oh, my God. Them ugly-ass wide-leg pants. Oh, my God. The the super goth. Yeah. The uh, cyber goth. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, in every group of goths... There's, this that, is, there's, there's that a, one. There's that one black kid. That token... And their hair always be like, I mean, they kind of got the same hairstyle, but it's not. It's like, I does just, not translate well. <laughs> no, Lil Uzi Vert is, if he had a relaxer. Oh my god, that's what I'm trying to describe. And I like the vibe that Lil Uzi Vert gives off, but the idea that you were doing this in like '07. Like, you're like, anybody listen to that new uh, Panic at the Disco album? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I love Forever the Sickest oh Kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> Panic at the Disco, we used to go Bro, hard for that. why is it black people love Panic at the I Disco? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but we used to go hard for Panic at Panic the Disco. Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy. Fall Out Boy, Green Day. Oh, it's another one. Paramore. Paramore. Evanescence. Yes. When they came, like, <laughs> we used to ride for fucking Evanescence. I don't know why it's those groups. Like, it's something about it that, like, I have also thought about, like, with Fallout Boy, Pete Wentz, speaking of relaxer, you know he's Jamaican. Like, his granddad's, like, black Jamaican. What? If you see his hair without the relaxer and you look at that nose, you're like, that's why. Wait a minute. Let me Google this nigga. <laughs> Afternoon, my octoroon. I have been. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ken Peel. Ken Peel. How many people, like, if that didn't exist, would know what an octoroon Would know what it was. <laughs> my, you know what's funny? My white roommate told me what that was a couple years ago. And this motherfucker, he's my best friend, like, for real. He knows so much about just random shit like he's one of those he's one of those motherfuckers that knows like music by he's like you with music but like even more like detailed like he he will throw out an album name year it came out song title and all that shit <laughs> he's like encyclopedic like knowledge seriously um pete wentz though but yeah um so i feel like i i grew up in this duality of 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 black and I feel like it was slightly damaging I've had to do a lot of work I didn't really embrace like blackness at all until 
college and I think it's when I got super fed up with microaggressive comments and you know it was things that was that was coming from people that I was considering to be my friends you know friends would say shit like oh Kim's not black and I'm just like just because we down I can't be black though like you what does that mean yeah. you know what I'm saying like you can't and then it, it would just be shit like um if we ever went to the pool like oh you get darker or oh you like to be in the sun and i'm just like bro i have skin just like you have skin like it might be brown but this shit still works the same in the sun Uh, all skin gets darker in the sun it wasn't until that point that i was able to like really stand up in my black womanness and and uh not give a fuck about how white people perceive me and you know what I feel like when I did that it was so much easier for me to make the right kind of white friends right you know how to choose allies but you know I also what I also found in doing that though is is and not that not that I don't know this now or not that I didn't know it at that point but I found that white people really do have a fascination with black culture like it is a true like they from them being into especially reggae man what is it about reggae being because because it it ties into that hippie lifestyle and the the rasta what they think rasta culture is i feel like i feel like there are people who are you know just naturists and 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 earthy because that's who they are. But then I feel like there are people who who kind of put on, who kind of force themselves into that, who think that it's it's a style and it's a it's a it's a phase for them, you know what I'm saying? Right. And I feel like there's so much obsession with with braids and dreads and afros for white people, especially dreads, man. Yeah. Especially dreads. Yeah, which and is it's such a it's it's a that's a touchy. And they don't even do it right. Like, <laughs> like that's the main like it's you like bro that's not that's not a dread. That's I think that's funky. It's such a touchy like <laughs> it's such a touchy thing because you get to a point where you don't want to always be telling white people what they can and can't do. Right, you don't want to police them in a way that that it seems like they that some white people try to police blackness. Right, or police them in a way that makes it seem like we're offended by every little thing. Right. It's more so that we want them to understand... That this comes from a real place. What this is, right. That this is not a costume for us. Like, this is actually a hairstyle. This is how we do, how we maintain our shit. And this can also hinder us from doing a whole lot of things in life. This makes people perceive us in a certain light than it would you if you were to wear the same style. Like a white person with dreads is like, oh shit, they down as fuck. They probably smoke weed. They probably go to blah, blah, blah. They probably know who Lauren Hill is. I bet they listen to fish. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Black people is like, oh man, he look like a thug. You know, he probably dirty, blah, 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 blah. Like, I really want to have dreads. I do too. I'm getting getting some faux locks soon. I'm excited. Like, I just, the fact that we have to though, like I was was thinking about that because I'm about to start a new job, 
but I'm still getting these faux locks. But I had to think about it. I was like, wait a minute. When I start this new job, like, is my boss going to have something to say because I'm coming in with, with locked hair versus when she, you know, offered the job to me? Like, right. the fact that I have to think about overthink it. just doing something that has to do with being black naturally with my hair is absolutely outrageous. Now, of course, there is definitely some things that are just like, okay, this is not suitable for work. But when it comes to natural shit like that, I feel like we should never have to question ourselves. Right. Like, the other thing is, like, I guess my awakening, I guess to get to he that. He does look black now that, I, now that I'm... I'm telling you, man. <laughs> now that I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm telling you, man. Hold we up. know our people. Hold up. He might be fine now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> wow. When black people discover Pete Wentz is partial black. was I we had a class together and yes a math class Miss Spinelli Miss Spinelli I remember that 10th grade geometry yeah that class was lit Lucky also it was a lot of black people in that class (laughs) that class was lit as hell you know what's funny though I remember starting 10th grade and being like damn I feel like they just like dropped off a busload (laughs) a busload of black people like like Buckley got real black (laughs) did they rezone they they were putting up a whole lot of yeah. houses though. And also, you remember a lot of the kids from like uh, I guess Johnson and Butler. They start like they rezone that also. A lot of people say that I should have went to Lee. You, which I think is you should have went to Johnson to be honest. So my uh, awakening was tenth grade. Um, I got to one of my not prouder moments mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the bus mm-hmm. one day. With a certain person. And so, Todd Markham suspended me for five days. Okay, Todd Markham. Dennis, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Man, we used to love Mr. Markham. So, I got suspended for five days. Missed two tests with Miss Spinelli towards the end of the year. Mm. And got a 64 in that class. Damn. Was that passing at that point or was it 65? 65. Wow. Straight missed it by... Damn, so you got to retake it the next semester? Mm-hmm. And so... Whole you bunch still graduated on time, so it don't really matter. Yeah, but the only <laughs> bad thing is, for a brief period, I was in the same homeroom as my brother. Mm, because of that. And uh, an annoying little kid named Chance Wilson, who liked to joke. <laughs> <laughs> so... That whole year was a struggle. So a whole bunch of people would be like, you're stupid, all this other shit. R.I.P. Chance. Yeah. I miss his goofy ass. Man, me too. Shit. But, uh... <laughs> so, uh... I started getting a lot of, like, people saying I was stupid. I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. Like, I feel like people were waiting on that speech. You're like, where is that coming from? <laughs> so I was like, you 
got a little upset about some of the arguments we were having. So, I found myself reading a lot of books. Mm-hmm. The book I picked up that summer was The Autobiography of Malcolm X, which literally changed my life. Like, the whole story of Malcolm X, too. It's not even just the, the, like, how did it change it? How, yeah. Because, like, all right, first of it, he tells the story of how he, um, when he grew up, he was the only black kid in his classes, and he was the class president. Mm-hmm. And I think when he was about fourth grade, this also relates to how my life was. Not really, but, you know, I could see the similarities. His teacher told him, they asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. Mind you, this is like 30s and 40s. And he was like, I want to be a lawyer. And his teacher told him, that's no suitable uh, job for a nigger. Maybe you should, you're good with your hands. And I think he said something like he wasn't even good with his hands, but they were like, maybe you should be a carpenter. Maybe you should do all this other stuff. And then by like ninth grade, he dropped out. And since he looked older for his age, he was out here in the streets hustling. And then he got wrapped up. And so he went to jail. And that's when he found um, Islam. He got out. He joined mm-hmm. Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he separated from them. And then he went for his El Hajj and uh, his pilgrimage to Mecca. And he uh, he changed his views on racism and things. And then right, that's right before he died. But the idea that like the way he found peace in his life as to separate himself. At his, no, like, even at the worst time of his life. And before that he had never even thought about black like blackness. Because he was so high yellow that he experienced blackness throughout a different thing. Yeah, he was slightly removed. Right. And his hair was red too. Yeah. And he kept it straight. So, he got treated with a lot of light-skinned privilege. Mm-hmm. So, the way he, in his darkest hour, found peace and changed his entire life was inspiring to me. And for a brief second, I thought about um, converting. Did you now? Yeah, I, I really weighed it. Because of that book? That, and I started studying Islam and some other things. But, yeah, that was my awakening. And then, that's also when I decided that after I get this great shit, I'm, I'm going to HBCU. Yeah. And I was like, the way I got treated by some people, like, after that, I was like, I want to see how the full black experience can be. Mm-hmm. Now, when I went to my HBCU, it was, it was an opener. <laughs> it was intense. And it, I... I realized that, like, for a brief second, I thought maybe what everybody was saying that I wasn't black enough was true. Until I found the other weirdos among that black college, and I realized, no, I'm still black. I still preach that to this day. Like I, I, I wish people 
wouldn't be so quick to judge and put people in boxes anyway, but especially black people. I feel like we're only given um, certain boundaries that we can live within. Yep. And um, <laughs> I am black. Right. Um, second of all, like I said, I grew up going to black church and, and having a black family experience. So I have blackness in my life. Right. Second of all, because I'm black, am I not allowed to have friends who aren't black as well? Right. And I, and, and that's another thing I hated too about being put in a box is I felt like I was always having to defend myself. Right. Especially to him. Like we've had so many conversations. Like I've just been like, are you, and then he always give me shit about, and, and not just him, but other people too, about um, dating a white boy and this and the third. And I'm just like, all right, we go pause this right now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, with me having a white boyfriend, which was has been still to this day my only boyfriend ever. People give me shit like, oh. That's all you like. And I'm like, first of all, you don't even have enough. Uh, <laughs> you don't know enough information. You don't have, there's to not make enough that data assessment. that you can collect <laughs> to come to that conclusion, number one. <laughs> Second of all, that's not true. Like a Superman, you don't have the technology or the steady hands to make that. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, it's none of your business. Um, but no, with on top of us being young, nobody saw that coming. But they no. definitely didn't see it coming for the person that I ended up with because he was. I think that was easily the more surprising thing. He was like the rocker, rebel, yeah. emo kid in middle school, defiant. Because everybody acted like he was like Kurt Cobain. <laughs> it was like, bro. Wait, now, he could shred the fuck out of a guitar. Yeah, but he was, he was lame. <laughs> like, Kurt Cobain was cool. <laughs> Like, excuse me, <laughs> you ain't gonna talk about my high school boo uh, like that. Um, <laughs> he no, could every, shred. Oh, what the, who are you? Everybody, he could. <laughs> no, I'm saying, I need to shred. He could shred, dude. Shred the fuck out of the guitar, man. <laughs> um, but no, it, like, literally, everybody gave me shit for that. And that was another thing that made me question, like, who I was as a black woman was. Is it possible for me? And I still ask myself this to this day, but I, I, I think I can stand it a little bit more strongly. But I felt like, of course, I got the sellout shit. Um, yeah. But I just always was wondering, like, well, damn, how can I, how can I keep defending myself and saying that I don't have a problem dating black men or I don't have a problem being black, but I have a white boyfriend? Like, people look at that as you're trying to be white and at that point I was still coming out of that um me and him did not start dating because I felt like he was gonna be my key into whiteness um we were both in band together it was almost like a cabin fever situation <laughs> how do you defend this situation over 10 years later I'm just I'm, like just in case y'all niggas didn't I'm, know I'm explaining because I've had to explain this to people before like I'm explaining it again yes um, but like I said I still get questions to this day but it always made that, me like can you not admit that that was off the wall on the out, outside looking in like not from the situation of but I also there were several relationships like that at Buckhorn that was like really mm. It, a lot of it happened, but I just think that that one was more surprising because 
of who it was. Yeah. Um. But it's it's a lot of people like I, I I don't question it anymore. But I think a lot of people question like, can you can you be pro black and date interracially, interracially? I, and I definitely think you can. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think as long as it doesn't rely like on a fetish or right. as in I need the, this type of person to fit my lifestyle, which is bullshit. Like that type of misguided information. Of course, you could be. It's. It's tons of people that are pro-black. You can definitely be pro-black and be culturally aware and be in a relationship with somebody different. And you can you can be pro-black without being black. I think you can. I think you can be a supportive ally and you can be... To me, that's... that's I mean, it, it really is. It comes down to semantics where you're just yeah. arguing about a, a word. But I think... I mean, I guess you can. I feel no, like I, think about it. I never really thought about it. I feel like it's 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 the same situation. Um, the answer is just respecting cultural differences and boundaries. As long as you know, so you're not being fetishized, and as long as you're not like, I think it's okay to like if me or you were just to describe somebody as being an ally or being pro black. That's different, but if somebody was to say, "I am pro-black," "I am a black," "I'm an ally of black people," like I think when it's just like I said on that other podcast, if you insert yourself into the situation and make it about you, that's where I'm gonna feel yeah, like it's you. misguided energy. Right. So right. I think right. that's most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're when you're too busy trying to prove a point. Yeah, it's almost like when we, it's not organic. You know what right. I'm saying? Like when people come out like like my favorite thing is when uh like woke white people come out and read these other white people to feel for the dumbass shit they be doing. Like that dumbass uh, girl who put out that uh, gentrified This Is America video. Oh my God. What the fuck is her name? And I, we won't even acknowledge We don't have her. to speak her name. You're right. Because, and then also, she's the same chick that did that Dear uh, Fat People. <laughs> Remember that a couple years ago? Where she had that video where she was talking about... Uh, like she hid it within I'm worried about the health of people but it's really the shit no fat people the entire time yeah which I mean as a fat person (laughs) I don't care but like don't hide it into don't make your shit about you're trying to help people bullying doesn't help people (laughs) it does never help people It might make them change something on the outside, but the emotional damage that you have done by bullying that person is way worse. <laughs> but see, and then too, like people, people don't realize when they do stuff like that on the internet, it never dies. Right. You can never live it down. It's just like uh, one of my favorite movies ever, The Social Network, and what that girl said to the fake Mark Zuckerberg, she was like, "The internet is written in ink." Mm. And that shit's real as hell. Because somebody got a screenshot yeah. somewhere. Yeah, it'll live forever. Yeah. And then some asshole will find it, though. It's like, to, because of the internet, you will always be a certain person to somebody, no matter what else you do. 
Yeah. Like that's why that's why we are so quick to cancel people for old shit that we find on the internet. Right. Because we get stuck in that one thing that they did and we're like, oh no. And I'm I'm past the canceling somebody. Yeah, now. I feel like we're taking it too far. For one, like now we've gotten to the point where we're digging up like twenty year olds. We're digging up their social media past when they were 13, 14 years old. It's it's like, getting to the point where it's 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 trendy to cancel people, right. I think. And that's and what's getting on my mind. You're nerves. taking away like also the idea that one statement or one thing you may have posted cancels everything, yeah, especially when you're young. Because I know I said a lot of dumb Man, can since, we talk about it? <laughs> actually, since we started this podcast after listening to it. <laughs> I've said a lot of things and I'm like, ooh. I, I hate the idea that you can't grow. Like, people can't grow or right. people can't change or That's people what, can't be sorry for their past. Right, and I think about who I am at 29 years old is completely different from who I was at 24. Hell yeah. Who I was definitely as a teenager. Absolutely. And to be judged based on that is, I, I do find it unfair. And also, I think it doesn't give room for growth for humans. We're and it's hypocritical, right? I mean, because we can literally find up find anything on anybody, and especially say, with these uh, sleuths on uh, <laughs> tw- uh, black Twitter, these people say dumb holes. shit all the time. You know how many people we would cancel if we found every single dumb thing or racist thing or sexist thing or crazy outlandish thing somebody said years ago and also like that what got me was when that um when stefan clark the dude that got killed in sacramento in his grandmother's backyard Mm -hmm. when they dug up his tweets and he had anti-black women tweets i didn't know that yeah and he had a lot of like weren't his kids black his kids were mixed his girlfriend was asian okay but back to the whole like he's a dark-skinned male he had to deal with anti-blackness growing up. And he was still, he was only 21 when he died. So they dug up those tweets and they, of course, these uh, sister soldier wannabes on uh, Twitter were saying, I'm not going to ride for him because he didn't support like black women. And I'm like... That's another thing I hate too is we got to start being able to recognize wrong for wrong. Right. And nobody's saying it's wrong for him to Nobody say he was right to say any disparaging remarks about dark skin. But it women. was wrong the way he was murdered. Right. It was wrong that he was murdered. And those things are totally not related at all. So how is it that you're like how are you holding linking those and holding that grudge? But that that's another I feel like that's another issue within the black community. Like it's especially just being a black woman that's another thing that is oppressive to us. You know what I'm saying? We're easily angered because we're always shitted on. So some some black women see things like that and it upsets them to no return. And they don't want to know anything good about you anymore. If you don't give a shit about them, that's it for them. Which, I mean, I can understand um, that mindset and that... that train of thought but it's not right but that's what um that's where colorism has gotten us and it's usually the darker skinned black women who are doing this kind of stuff right um 
And it's because the darker skinned black women are the ones who have been shitted on the most. Like, like I can't imagine how it feels to be a dark skinned black woman, but as a dark skinned black male, like if you don't have healthy reinforcement from the people around you that you are, I guess you hear all the black jokes and stuff. And my mom to this day still call me her chocolate baby. And like, they, I've always felt, I've never felt bad about being darker because I have positive reinforcement around. A lot of people don't have that. And a lot of people internalize that. And when they get older, they view blackness, view darkness as being ugly. Mm-hmm. It's just like with Kodak Black when he said his dumbass fucking shit last year about he views uh, dark skinned black women as not being feminine enough. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like there's um, it's way more marks against you to be dark skinned and a woman because women are expected number one to be aesthetically pleasing to everybody right and um i feel like black women dark dark skinned black women not only are shitted on and discriminated against by black men and men in general but also by other women for men i feel like you could be a dark skinned black man and be desired by a white woman you know what i'm saying but how often does that happen for a dark skinned black woman you gotta be uh, a Lupita or Kelly Rowland or Kelly Rowland and see that's another thing too is everyone's perception of what dark skin is is so skewed because I don't even feel like Kelly Rowland is dark skin she's brown skin to me but she's darker brown she is dark especially brown. compared with the with the other black women that they show she's on the darker side and I think Zendaya Zendaya uh, I don't know if that's how you say it, but yes. she brought up that, well, not with Kelly Rowland, but about how she's the go-to look, and she's clearly biracial, but mm. she's on the lighter side, and she's like one of the it girls as far as black actresses, mm-hmm. and her and uh, Zoe Kravitz, even though she's our age, still playing <laughs> teenage girls. Even though uh, Beyonce's uh, stepsister, uh, Bianca, has literally been playing a teenager our whole life. Oh, my God. And she's like 40 she, almost? She a vampire, man. Like, <laughs> she I looks see, amazing. I gotta see her birth certificate. If it don't say born in Transylvania, <laughs> I'll pay you $5 right now. Chosen, shift as a human, you found by your own.